This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by my book, Breaking Bad Faith, Exposing Myth and Violence in Popular Theology to Recover the Path of Peace. I'm Michael Camp. The book helps people break damaging beliefs that are based on myths. It exposes the big lie that God brings justice through retribution, punishment, imprisonment, the death penalty, lenient gun laws, American wars, final judgment, and eternal damnation. It's a religious crap detector. In case you're wondering, that is a theological term. The book uses sound history to reveal the love and restorative justice narratives of Jesus and the prophets. There are real-life stories, many outside Christianity, about people plotting peace rather than revenge to fight evil. Find it at Amazon.com. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hello, friends, and welcome to, sadly, the final episode in the Two Fab for Florida series. I've loved this so much. It's been so fantastic. And um, as great as it's been, this is going to be our last one in this series. So, um, you know, moment of silence. Okay. Anyway, we're going to jump into it. Um, my name is Keith Giles. I am one of your many co-hosts, I'm the author of the Jesus Un series, the solo series, and the recently released Second Cup with Keith available on Amazon. Go check it out. Yes, it's based on my podcast, but it's even better. So uh, check that out on Amazon. Uh, my co-hosts here, I would love to introduce to you. Actually, I'll let them introduce themselves to you. Uh, and uh, let's jump into that. So Katie, December, Shonda, and sometimes Matt, say hi. Hey, hey, hey. It's Katie Valentine. I'm the founder of the Metaphysical Christian Facebook community. We talk about all things woo over there. So I'd love to have you I'm Cajun. I bring out my harp in that group too. So you're, it's like double treats, double treats in there. Uh, I'm, I'm super this is our last in this series. Shonda, thank you for um, brainstorming this. This was, this yeah, was your idea you. and you orchestrated most of it and it's, it's just been super fabulous. So yeah, thanks for thinking of this idea. Has it been too fabulous? <laughs> oh, you're muted, December. Don't! That whole part. <laughs> What's everybody? It's your girl, December Rose. And I also have double treats, but I was born with them, you know. But I am, I do have a book <laughs> called The Church and Go to Hell. I need to write another book so I could put that in my list of treats, you know, with the other ones that I got. But I thank y'all for listening. Too Fab for Florida has been completely fabulous, and you're going to enjoy every bit of it. My name is Shonda Ja. You can find me over at Substack, where I have a newsletter on joy in justice. And I particularly love this episode. It's a great one to wrap up with. Uh, you will definitely be inspired. And I am sometimes Matt. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but I, I blog on Pathios at All Set Free. So if you want to subscribe to my blog on uh, Pathios, I've been doing it more often. I, I I haven't had time to blog too much, but in the in the last couple months, I've been doing it more often. So subscribe on over there on Pathios at All Set Free. And also, if you have uh, the desire and the ability to support this show, head on over to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. It's how this show stays funded by lovely listeners such as yourself. As a benefit, you get the remission of sins for yourself and your family, depending on the tier. 
And you also unlock a bonus podcast and all sorts of goodies that only true heretics deserve. I didn't know you could buy remittance of sins for others. Yeah, I think on the upper tier, you got to pay. You got to pay for that though. Like it's not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we don't just hand that out. Yeah. So if I don't want to commit my own sins, I can go get like someone else to do it, and then I can just pay to have it released because that's the best of all worlds. Like I'm get out of jail free. That's right. What? Whatever loophole you can That's find in awesome. the system, go for it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really care. Just do whatever, you know, as long as you sign up. Do what you want. As long as we get paid. <laughs> so, so I can like, I can hire a hitman. Yes, like, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> paid a hitman and paid to release him from That's right. what, yeah. I, asked, what yeah. I paid him to do. This is getting expensive. Too. Clearly none of you are Scottish, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, your, your eternal soul is worth almost any cost. I don't know, man. You do it yourself. You can do it for free. Right. Okay. Uh, It's more cost effective. (laughs) Uh, As as we said earlier, this is our final episode in this particular series. And we're going to go out with uh, with a big bang. So we have a fantastic co-host. This person is dynamic, an organizer, a pastor, queer. This is it's everything all wrapped up into one. It's the Heretic of the Week. And I am Roland Stringfellow, and many people refer to me as a heretic. Hi, Hi Roland. <laughs> Welcome, Roland. It's so good to have you here. And I was, I was trying to think back to what year we met, and I think it's been 20 years. It's been 20 years. It was 2003. Yes. 2003. Exactly 20 years. I've known you longer than I've known Shonda. Mm. <laughs> probably it's true. Six months longer than I've known Shonda. So it's so <laughs> wonderful to have you here. Why don't we just start with um, telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do. You can even throw in a preview of why you are too fab for Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, it, it, it is an honor. Um, again, I've known Katie for such a long time, and Shonda, I'm one of her followers, and their their followers, and just very grateful to um, be here with you all. And um, I wear multiple hats. The main hat that I wear is my work in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm the managing director of the. Uh, Center for LGBTQ and Gender Studies on the campus of Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley. And I have been doing that really for the last year. I've worked for um, CLGS, which is the acronym we shorten all of that, uh, since 2008. And I've had multiple roles with them, working for marriage equality and um, immigration rights, uh, health care reform. Then I shifted to working with work within the um, African-American church, predominantly those who have not been welcoming of the LGBT um, community and working with them behind the scenes in closed door conversations on um, building bridges for inclusion. That work then shifted to me working with uh, legislators, uh, primarily in Michigan. Uh, Again, closed doors, closed door meetings with uh, Republicans who were on the fence. Um, those um, are now tend to be a dying breed, uh, yeah. but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, there were, you know, still quite a few that I would have um, 
conversations with about uh, fairness and equality and their voting record and voting their conscience. In fact, a little bit later, I'm going to share a um, story with one of our legislators that made national news. So uh, that's my work with California. And then uh, I live in Detroit, Michigan, and I'm the senior pastor of the Metropolitan Community Church of Detroit, where I've been the senior pastor there for about 10 years. And we have been doing some great work uh, in the Detroit metro area. And then the last hat, major hat that I wear, (laughs) is I am the board president of a group called Inclusive Justice of Michigan. And we are a coalition of welcoming congregations throughout the entire state. And we work with um, brand new pastors who have come into a congregation that is uh, inclusive and they're not or the pastor is inclusive and the congregation isn't. And so we work on best practices around inclusion as well as keeping them updated on legislative um, concerns, how they can uh, get behind uh, a variety of of, um, campaigns, if you will, to um, flex their progressive muscle. We call that work sacred activism. And we know that uh, many on the religious right, they know how to organize well. And on uh, the progressive end, we, we uh, because it's not uh, Christian based, we call it sacred activism because it appeals to many people of various uh, uh, religious convictions and um, practices. And we just say uh, that using your, um, your, your, your sense of spirit to help create the change that you want to see in the world. We see that as sacred activism. I love all of that so much. And one of the things I really love is you've just named multiple ways people can engage in change-making efforts. I think people have one image of what activism looks like, and it's you know marching in the streets with uh, protest signs, which you and I have done together on more than we one sure occasion. Have. We sure um, have. But that's not the only form of activism. So I think some people kind of are, are in a place where they're like, well, that's not me. So I guess I'm just going to have to, you know, think good thoughts about the people who do that. But it turns out, you know, there's behind the scenes work that you can do. There's um, work that you can do that's bridge building work. There's, there is no reason to say you have no role in activism when there are so many different things activism can look like. I feel like that is super important for uh, this particular series. So I love what you're sharing. And well, well, oh, go well, ahead. If, if I may, because, yeah, you know, when, we, when we're engaged in sacred activism, we have, you know, folks from the Pentecostal church all the way to Quakers. Mm-hmm. And, and we say that, you know, that sacred activism, as you just said, is anything from just staying in your space and sending your positive energy out to, you know, marching down the street with, with, with your placard and everything in between. There are, there are multiple ways that you can get involved, particularly when you see people being downtrodden, uh, especially with, um, I would say, just the uh, radicalness of, um, of um, uh, Christian nationalism that is mm-hmm. on the rise mm-hmm. and that so many people are, you know, want to stand up and speak. And not, not just those on the progressive end, but those who are moderate in the middle. It's like, what can I do? And that, that is how we bring them in. That's the uh, open door with, with sacred yeah. activism. 
No, I think that's beautiful. So you know that the theme for this series is too fab for Florida, and there are about Mm. 5 million reasons that you in particular (laughs) are too fab for Florida. (laughs) One of them is that you're a pastor of a metropolitan community church, an MCC. Um, We suspect some of our listeners will know who the MCC is, and some won't know much about that church. Would you mind giving us some broad strokes on who the MCC is, what it stands for, what makes it so fabulous? Absolutely. And if any of your listeners are in the state of Florida, I imagine they probably are uh, familiar with the MCCs because Florida is the state that has the most MCCs concentrated anywhere in the world. You know, almost <sighs> practically almost every like major city in the state has a metropolitan community church. But we received our uh, our beginnings back in 1968 when um, a Pentecostal preacher by the name of Troy Perry uh, was outed in his pulpit and was uh, received a lot of um, just hatred from from people who were um, you know that 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 just now wanted nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. And so um, he con- contemplated taking his own life, and in fact, did try to take his own life. It was mm-hmm. while he was recovering in the hospital that a nurse, um, which he basically calls his angel of mercy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, encouraged him. And it was from there that the light shined on him to say, you know, just because they're not going to accept you does not mean I'm not calling you. And so he put an ad in the local newspaper in Los Angeles, inviting uh, out gay and lesbian people uh, to come to his uh, living room. And mm. it started in his living room, like I said, back in uh, 68 in October. And it has now grown to be a worldwide denomination. And so um, um Practically on every continent, with the, that that's you know that has people living on them, uh, there's going to be an MCC, and so I would say that in many places it all depends upon the local laws because we have MCCs in Africa, and you know that mm-hmm. do their work very covertly, you know, so to um, help shelter, you know people whose lives are in danger, you know, same in the Philippines and so forth. And so, um, you know, uh, the United States has started here in the U.S., uh, has the largest concentration of the MCC churches. But uh, the thing that is very unique about us is that we share, like, so if you were to go to even a MCC in, um, you know, Chicago versus Detroit, uh, the service could be very different, but the thing that we all share is um, the communion table. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that Troy Perry said was that every time we meet, we're going to have communion because so many people have been denied that. And mm-hmm. so uh, generally they share the body and the blood. They don't you know, oftentimes refer to it as the blood, but it's the life or the peace of, of God, primarily because during the days of uh, HIV and AIDS, you know, mm-hmm. where blood was seen as, you know, something that could kill you, that, you know, a lot of, you know, gay men, lesbian women, when they were coming to the communion table, it's like, I know you have to have it each week, but the blood. And, you know, so let's talk about what was actually in this cup. And it is the, the love of God, is the life of God, you know, for you. So, um, 
does not matter where the word you're going to go. That's the thing that is very um, consistent is that communion table. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, well, Roland, I want to ask you, your your bio on your church website says that you hold a doctorate in ministry, it says, with a focus on challenging state-sponsored religious freedom legislation that causes harm to LGBT uh, individuals and families. And uh, right now, there's a whole lot of that going on. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I would just uh, wonder if you could help share a little bit about what are some of the effective ways to counteract that kind of legislation um, in your experience and things that you're maybe doing now. Indeed. Yes. I I focus my doctoral work on religious liberty and challenging harmful religious liberty laws, because oftentimes when people hear religious liberty, particularly for those who are either unfamiliar with the term or, um, you know, they, 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 they hear it from a different perspective because mm-hmm. sometimes people hear religion. Oh, well, that's good. Or liberty. That's good. So mm-hmm. what, you know, what's wrong with religious liberty? And, and, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with religious liberty. In fact, yeah. I support religious liberty. We need to have more of it. It's the interpretation of it oftentimes. Uh, and as I mentioned, you know, Christian nationalism earlier, uh, it's, um, particularly Christian fundamentalists who want to promote a one particular version of Christianity above everything else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so let alone, you know, people of different, you know, faith or beliefs or spiritual traditions, it's a particular type of Christianity that they want to, you know, promote above, above everything else. So my uh, doctoral work, I particularly took the uh, focus on connecting the roots, the beginnings of the Christian nationalist movement with white supremacy. Mm-hmm. That, that, that there were so many connections between the two that uh, it, it is a supremacist uh, action as well as it goes beyond anything that is core Christian doctrine that is like it's more in line with um, white nationalism, white supremacy, and that um, because e- even these uh, congregations that um, promote, um, you know, it's it's my right to discriminate, they wouldn't necessarily see it that way, but that's exactly what they're saying. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that they are promoting, like I said, a very, very, very narrow group of individuals. I call it us four and no more that you have to send your kids to the same church or same schools, drive the same cars, belong to the same you know organizations, you know, and any, anyone else outside of that can basically go to hell, you know? Right. And mm-hmm. so how is it that we can shine a light on that hypocrisy? Because again, for people say, well, what's wrong with, you know, uh, religious, you know, freedom or re- religious liberty. It's really pointing out the hypocrisy, pointing out the discrimination, pointing out the uh, isolation that is really built and built into many of the laws that are trying to be passed on that basis. And um, you know, again, no one is trying to um, squash you know, a particular Christian point of view. It's, it's the uh, promotion a, of a very narrow view. And so mm-hmm. these are things that, like I said, are very nuanced. And if you're not really paying attention, you're not going to know. 
And so right. part part of what I have done through my work through uh, CLGS is to help uh, work with uh, clergy and congregations on yeah. understanding those uh, differences and nuances. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, as you were saying that I was, uh, I made a series of memes. This has been a couple of years ago. Um, and the headline on the meme was, uh, share if you agree, our children should be allowed to pray in school. But uh, the images, a series of images, one was a little boy praying, a Muslim boy praying on a prayer mat. Uh, one was a couple of like Buddhist kids, you know, in meditation. And, I, and so others, like they were all the images were of non-Christian children praying. And what's funny is, so I have a lot of Christian followers and then they were so confused because the message that they want to say, yes, yeah, we need prayer back in school. But then they didn't want to share it because, or they were confused, like, well, why are these people, why are these kids that are praying not Christians, right? Like that, but see, that's what they don't get. Like you said, religious liberty, it really, they use the phrase religious liberty, but it's, that's not what they mean. And and any ways you can like point that out, uh, I think sometimes they're helpful to kind of point out that cognitive dissonance of what do you really mean when you talk about prayer in school? You don't mean every religion, you just mean yours. That's right. And, 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 and the work that I, that I use is called liberating religious liberty. Mm. And, and like I said, it is, it is helping understand what it is, the origins of it, uh, that when it was, you know, initially, uh, introduced, uh, in the, uh, eighties during the Clinton era, that there was a lot of bipartisan support around it, because again, it, it really began with, um, uh, um, uh, Native Americans who wanted the right to, um, you know, yeah. uh, have, you know, peyote. Yeah. And, um, and then it, like I said, just from there, just, just got twisted and manipulated, um, by, by those on the radical right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, Roland, you mentioned, um, a story that you had, um, with a Republican on the mm-hmm. fence, a person, we're just dying to hear it. This seems like the perfect, <laughs> <laughs> the perfect awkward segue left turn. So I'm just going to ask for the story. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, I, you know, so I will have to say that when I was initially approached to doing this work with legislators, I had never done that before. And um, I'm, I'm proud to say that I had been funded by a foundation uh, ever since 2008 and had um, delivered very great um uh, uh, change, change, change of hearts and minds, especially with uh, African American clergy who were oftentimes very rapidly against uh, LGBT uh, inclusion to the point where not that they began to be flag waivers, but at least they stopped their rhetoric because they recognized that what they were doing was so harmful to people within their in, in their community that's like that is not what I want to do because so so basically I, I I would help people to see why did you get into ministry in the first place and ultimately people say because I want to help people I want people to see you know the light or you know whatever whatever reason they say but it's basically positive and to help and it's like if you knew what you were doing was harmful to people would that give you pause and ultimately if they're sincere it does. Because they don't want to do anything that is, you know, contrary to why they do that. So it is with that that I took, that was my strategy working with legislators to say, you know, in a sense, why did you get into public service? And why is it, you know, that, and again, you want to help people within your community and represent all of your constituents, not just a few. 
Now, mind you, when it comes to, before I tell the story, mind you, when it comes to clergy and when it comes to some politicians, they're not for everyone in their congregation. They're not for everyone in their community. They're very, very, you know, narrowly focused on, you know, their particular agenda. But for those who truly do have a heart and a mind for public service, those are the ones you can reach. So, um, so I agreed to do it. And, um, there was a gentleman out of Grand Rapids. And so, um, I went and, and, and my strategy is this, I, cause you know, I live in Detroit and, uh, but I was working throughout the state. Whenever you're going to meet with someone, you have to have people from their, you know, district. So mm-hmm. I met with parents and clergy who uh, were very, you know, adamant and strong about uh, inclusion. And so um, the people who I was working of, working with above me said, this particular uh, 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 legislator is on the fence and is kind of fair-minded, but, you know, is a libertarian. And so you're going to have to be kind of nuanced how, how you meet with, with him. So I did. And I listened to all of the people who were, who were coming with me and I listened to their story and I placed them in a star, story arc. So I, I, I listened to it. It's like, yeah. okay, you, you would be good to go first. You'd be good to go second. You know, oh, you're the big story. So you're like our apex and then, you know, fourth and fifth. So we all went in and everyone kind of told the story. And so it was, even though there were individual stories, uh, it was one big story. But the thing that each of us said was whenever you vote, you have to vote your conscience. You have to vote your conscience. Hmm. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, what about that? And we always had something to come back with and end with, you got to vote your conscience. You got to vote your conscience. So this, we we were only scheduled to be with him for 15 minutes. We were there for an hour, 15 minutes. Wow. And so we, I mean, so so I could tell our story really got to him. Then I uh, set up another meeting with him. And so I invited uh, LGBT people within the Grand Rapids area to meet with him and uh, to tell their stories as well. So when it came down to the vote for the first impeachment of Donald Trump, this individual was one of the few people, few Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump. Hmm. Uh, needless to say, he got voted out of office yeah. <laughs> shortly after that. Yeah. And then on NPR, they asked him, like, why did you vote against Donald Trump? Because initially I thought like, well, you know, it didn't seem like we got anywhere with him because mm-hmm. um, it was like several months had passed from our meeting to like the, you know, hearings. And he said, I had to vote my conscience. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. And so we were like, win that's a win that's a win that's us that's us and so um and 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 we still have been in communications you know with the individual um i'm I'm intentionally not 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 sharing their name but i've given enough information to anyone who wants to know you can find out who who it is and 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 i will say this much the person who replaced him in congress from grand rapids uh he was the one who's supposed to come in. It's like, oh, he's going to be fair-minded and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we, we were able to meet with him as well. He also voted against Donald Trump hmm. um, and um, and also got, you know, primaried out uh, hmm. of, of the office. And so now hmm. they have some 
really wackadoodle in the, in, in, in the seat. But I share that to say that whether you're talking to your aunt, your uncle, your mother, your father, a legislator, a clergy person, or whatever, the tactic that I have used is not to get into a Bible battle with somebody or like, you know, my, my, my argument is bigger and badder than yours. Mm-hmm. It is really, you know, listening to them, not trying to put them into a cage and so, you know, because when they're in the cage, they can't get out. Like I already know who you are, but is 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 to really uh, uh, approach people to say, I hear you and I want you to understand the impact of what your words are doing, what your actions are doing, what your vote says, what you're saying from, from the pulpit. Um, and believe it or not, I mean, that, that, that might sound simplistic to some of your, your listeners, but believe it or not, that has the most impact. And that, like I said, I've been uh, really engaged in this type of changing hearts and minds work since 08. And um, it, it has proven to be effective practically every time because I've been in some very contentious argumentative, argumentative uh, arenas. And I've kept my cool and I just keep going back to, but why are you doing this? Hmm. And can you look at, you know, the people that, that you're harming? And like I said, that only works with people who are sincere. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of people who are not. So you're right. You can have somebody, you know, you, you could talk to your blue, blue in the face. They're not going to change because mm-hmm. they're, they're really about something else. But people who have a genuine heart and care for other people, there, there's wiggle room to work. Yeah. Um, Roland, I love this. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's a, it's a simple strategy, but it's a Jesus strategy. Mm-hmm. Talk to people honestly and tell your story. That's, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's really the heart of it. And I, I get these questions a lot, often about chakras and metaphysics and how do I get, how do I convince someone that um, and people want to be sort of armed with Bible verses, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, sharing their story, um, no matter what, what it's about is more powerful and ultimately more honest because we're not taking the Bible and trying to um, wrangle an agenda out of it. Right. Right. And well, so just some thoughts. Yeah. Well you, know, well, you, well, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the key um, phrases that I go to as I'm talking, particularly, especially when I'm speaking to uh, a Christian audience, whether it's a conservative Christian audience or not, is that, you know, when people's like, I feel like I cannot accept you or welcome you because of what the Bible says. The mm-hmm. Bible is very clear and that's what it says. And I'm sticking to it. And I talk about the difference between the letter of the law, what's actually written versus the love of the law, which mm-hmm. is the intent. Mm-hmm. And there are very there are several passages that involve Jesus because again, like well, Jesus said it, then okay, you know, it's, you know, there, there's a passage um, in Mark of, of Jesus in, in the uh, grain fields with his disciples, and um, the um, religious teachers of the day criticize him for harvesting or working on the Sabbath, and then Jesus goes into this uh, um, story of. Have you ever heard the story of David when he was with his men and they went in and they ate the special bread that was only prepared for the priest? You didn't, you didn't call that sin. 
why is that? It's like, well, because there was a need there. He was hungry. That's right. And so, you know, there's a need here. You know, we're we're hungry. You know, and then he goes on to talk about that uh, he's, you know, master of the um, Sabbath and the Sabbath is not master over, you know, him. The, 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 the application to us today from that story and, and many similar ones is that for you to say, well, yeah, you know, this is what the scripture says and da 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 da. It's like, well, first of all, the scripture says a lot of things that we don't adhere to. And the scripture, uh, there are a lot of things that happen today that the scripture know nothing about, like space travel, you know, you know, like, you know, they're just, just, <laughs> just, 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 yeah. <laughs> just, just a variety of things. So, yeah. but, but getting back to the heart, you know, because they're like, well, you know, so so when I bring something up like that, that makes them giggle or are like, well, 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 but you got to go to the intent. Exactly. Go to the intent. What was the point of the passage? And it was focusing on the need of individuals. So if there is a need in your community for someone to have shelter, food, family or whatever, would you then kick them out of the house? Would you shun them out of the church or, you know, out of your community or would you give them what they need? Mm -hmm. It's about the intent and the intent is always going back to, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Mm -hmm. You would, you know, clothe and feed yourself. Are you doing that for somebody who you even disagree with? I'm not saying that you Mm -hmm. even have to agree Right. With uh-huh. someone who is, you know, LGBT or someone from, you know, uh, you know, um, of a different culture or co- country and so forth. But because they are a human being, do you and should you provide care for them? And of course, it goes all the way back to the story of the, you know, Good Samaritan mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is that's why I said they 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 pause. They're not ready to, you know, w- wave a rainbow flag, but they're. Huh, huh, and it really gives them pause to just like, okay, you know, because I, I I was um in Riverside, California, and this man, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? What about Sodom and Gomorrah? And he's just pointing his finger at me and so forth. And this other woman, just like you know, and I don't like these young women coming to my church dressing like boys. You know, you know, there are very set ways for male and female, and da 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 da. And you know, again, pointing out to them what one the whole true story of Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. which right. briefly to say that you know, okay, if um this was about you know homosexuality yeah you can go into the whole thing of in hospitality that's one thing but Mm -hmm. generally what what, what gets them to pause is to say okay if this if this was the men of sodom why then why then did god punish gomorrah a whole separate community that wasn't even present Mm -hmm. and the women and the children Mm -hmm. what was that about and they're like huh it's like there had to be something else going on and it gives them pause and, you know, and just really letting this grandmother know of um, her berating these young girls who come to the church who quote unquote dress like boys, what, what she's actually doing. And it's like, you know, are, are you bringing them closer to, to Christ as you say, or, or are you repelling them? Right. And she's, huh. And she's like, you know what? This was literally said. It's like, I don't know if I agree with everything you said, but the thing I do know is that I owe 
these young women are an apology. Oh. I should not be treating them that way. Beautiful. And that. so that is part of what I'm talking about that has been effective, not only with clergy and church folk, but also with, with um, uh, legislators as well, you know, and, and especially those who identify as, as Republican, if they are fair-minded, if they right. are fair-minded. So I know Katie has another question for you, but before that, I just want to say, I actually got to go through one of your, cause you've got amazing curriculum content for conservative churches. You've also got really amazing content for folks who are in relationship with people mm-hmm. who don't think the same way we do. And we're not sure how to have the conversation with them, especially folks who believe that their, you know, exclusionary beliefs are backed up by the Bible. Mm-hmm. Beginning of the pandemic, you did a, a series. Was it a, well, yeah, I think you did a series for the congregation that we're both connected with in Oakland. And mm-hmm. it was really eye opening for a, the, the church itself is a very inclusive church, but it was really helpful. It gave us a lot of tools because most of us, part of the reason we're at that church is because we've come from places where, uh, or families where we were not embraced for who we are as LGBTQ mm-hmm. folks. So I just wanted to do a little plug for the tools that you have to offer in case any listeners want to make use of those. You'll get to talk about where they can connect with them, but the stuff you were just doing, I've seen you do it in community in ways that are really powerful. And I just wanted to do a little shout out. Well, I'm glad that, yeah, because, because that particular workshop was dealing with spiritual violence. Right. And, 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 and we all know what physical violence is and emotional violence and so forth, but spiritual violence is when someone uses the name of God, a pulpit, uh, a, a religious institution to berate to downtrod, you know, to exclude someone, you know, and of course you have then that power behind you, that, that quote unquote authority of God to yeah. really just bring someone down. And so for those of us on the progressive end or those who are not very, very religious or those who have suffered spiritual violence and mm-hmm. would have nothing to do with religion or God at all, is that for those who are interested in doing type of this type of, um, community change work and, you know, to, to, to try to help. We have to deal with our own backyard, the, the issues yeah. that are already back there and the hurts and the harms that we haven't dealt with. Because if we're talking about, well, I, you know, you need to be more inclusive of me. How inclusive of you are you of the other person? Mm-hmm. And especially people who have Trumpsters in their families. It's like, no, I just don't go to Christmas anymore. I don't go to the holidays anymore. I don't go to the weddings and the, you know, whatever. And it's, and it's, it's that, um, now sometimes, you know, you're not welcomed and that's one thing, but if you are welcome, why not go? Why not show up? Why not, um, simply be that person to say, you know, even though it is going to be almost like gritting your teeth, sitting through listening to Uncle Joe spout about spout off about what happened on Fox News is to say by you simply being there is a, you know, is is change making unto itself. Mm-hmm. And how can you um, recognize you have more power for change than what you, you know, recognize. You don't have to give it away to think that, you know, because they're the loudest and more angrier voice that you just kind of cave in. It's like, we're not trying to get into, like I said, Bible battles or just even, you know, uh, the back and forth, 
but just simply your 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 presence of of of, of silence or your presence presence of witness in a, in a sense is sometimes is is good enough. We, I, we've um, have had work called breakthrough conversations, and it's spe- specifically focused on how to have those conversations with family members who do not accept you or accept your values or people within your community. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole program that we have taken people through on how to have those types of uh, conversations as well. But yes, um, dealing with our own uh, recovery from spiritual violence is critical. Oh, I know our, I know listeners, I know you all just had an ear, (laughs) ear to that because so many listeners that we speak with, have experienced spiritual violence um, from very evangelical culture and struggle with that process of what do I believe? How do I believe it? Especially around LGBTQI um, identities. So um, we'll make sure we provide as many links as we can Mm -hmm. um, to all of those resources. Thank you. Um, You know, you've, you've really, you've talked about working with African-American leaders and congregations and I know in 2010, you directed the National African-American Faith Community Outreach, the um, Umoja Project. Mm-hmm. You've, you've mentioned other contexts that you're you're working with um, leaders and congregants. Can you just tell us a little bit more about the work? Why, you know, why it's so important um, and what you've been doing in, in and with African-American communities? Absolutely. So the origins of it actually started all the way back in 08, as I keep going back to that year. Um, because if you recall, that was the same year in California that Proposition, Proposition 8 was on the ballot, as well as Barack Obama. And so after the 08 vote and Californians you know, overwhelmingly voted for uh, Barack Obama for president, um, Prop 8 passed which was for those who don't recall is the uh, uh was the proposition in California that stripped the rights of gay lesbian couples to marry the supreme court prior to that had allowed that to happen and then there was a vote that uh overturned what the supreme court had done in the state of California well many within the lgbt predominantly white community uh blamed African Americans because you know African American votes were like you know skyrocketed. And so they made an assumption that African Americans voted against the LGBT, you know, same-sex marriage marriage uh they're in their favor. Once the uh statistics came out, that turned out not to be the truth. And so I was approached uh by uh, some funders to create a um some type of work to, is there any way to kind of help bridge the gap uh, between the LGBT community and the African-American community? My master's thesis, uh, you know, my my doctoral thesis was um, on religious liberty, but my master's thesis was on this whole concept of um, inclusion within the Black church, LGBT inclusion. So from there, I was able to create a um, curriculum, a Bible study, if you will, five-week Bible study. And um, it focused upon, um, it's it's, it's a study of of the Gospel of John and uh, taking people through um, the words of Christ of reaching out to people who were, in a sense, the outsiders, which generally were, were considered the Gentiles. And is there a way that from 
uh, we're not talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, we're not talking about Leviticus, but are there more affirmative passages that you can focus on that help say, oh, okay, I can I, I can rest here. And this gives me justification why I can love my son, my daughter, you know, or, you know, uh, my child um, in, in ways that I didn't think I could. And so um, I, when I lived in Oakland, I attended a um, black gay men's discussion group and I used uh, information from that uh, for, for this curriculum. It was called Mama and the Church because uh, two young men said, one said, you know, last night my uh, father said um, he would rather I was a crackhead than be gay. And then someone said, well, I can top that. My mother told me she'd rather I would be, I would be dead. And, and then I had another pastor, a bishop out of Oakland who said, you know, again, I can't support, you know, LGBT people because of of what scripture says. So knowing that there is a passage in, in Luke that talks about, you know, that you should not love, you know, mother, father, brother, sister, more than you love me, because that's an abomination. Many of these parents and pastors would use that as criteria for, for exclusion. Mm -hmm. And it's like, is that what really, is that what what, what the scripture is saying? It's really unpacking. That's not what it's saying. It's really, it's talking about um, your love for someone is, is, should, should be so intense for somebody that even if you don't understand or agree with them, that again, you, you, you welcome them. And there's a a lot more I can say about that. I know I'm not really being clear, but for sake of time, uh, let me just say that, you know, that, that is, that is one of the, that's one of the passages that I I love to unpack with folks when they feel like scripture says this, like, well, again, let's really talk about the intent, the, the, not just the letter of the law, but the love that is found there. And that has really, you know, particularly for African-American Christians who love scripture and love Jesus and they love Martin Luther King. <laughs> so I bring all of that together to talk about because uh, Coretta Scott King had some wonderful uh, words of inclusion uh, for the LGBT community that I bring in to that mm. teaching as well. And so it, like I said, it really has given them pause. If they feel that Martin Luther King and Jesus speak about inclusion, then I can mm. as well. Mm. I love that. I, uh, I I appreciate this in particular because um, I've been working with folks who are trying really hard to have similar conversations in Asian American, Pacific Islander, uh, Christian communities. Uh, and it was that conversation after Prop 8 was so frustrating because I heard people say they felt betrayed by their black friends, like white LGBT uh, folks. And I was like, you know that like African-Americans make up about, what is it, 8% of the population in California? (laughs) If every single black person had voted in favor of Prop 8, it still wouldn't have passed if your people had all voted against it. Um, Like me. So I really appreciate you doing it. And I also want to say... we all have work to do in our own fields, in our own communities. And, um, and I want to celebrate what you're doing and also acknowledge um, that work's not happening because black people are more heterosexist or more anti-gay that I think that is a narrative that shows up in some progressive LGBT Christian communities. And it's just not true. Um, 
So wanted to acknowledge that and also to just celebrate the the role of a beautiful, intentionally constructed uh, uh, Bible study. I was on the board of the California Council of Churches, uh, and they got a very limited amount of funding to launch a Bible study in certain areas um, in a, before Prop 8, before that vote. And the few places where they were able to do it in Central California, very conservative area, the districts where they were able to do their Bible study actually voted against Prop 8. They voted the pro-gay position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to mention it just because investing in a deeply heartfelt, a deeply thoughtful Christian curricula actually makes a big difference. And a dearth of funding is part of why the anti-gay rhetoric is so strong in churches. So wanted to acknowledge that. Speaking of the intersection of um, faith and the LGBTQ community, you are the managing director. You mentioned that you have been involved with the Center for LGBTQ Studies at Pacific School of Religion. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it and particularly what might be valuable for our listeners about what you are up to? Because I suspect some folks are looking for good resources in order to show up well as queer Christians or in solidarity with uh, queer folks. I am honored to um, give leadership to uh, a great group of individuals who uh, you mentioned, uh, 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 Asia Pacific Islander. With their uh, our our center is made up of various roundtables. So we have the um, Asian Pacific Islander roundtable, the Latinx roundtable, the transgender roundtable, the Jewish roundtable, the African-American roundtable, the Catholic roundtable. And so it's, it's, it's work geared specifically to a particular audience, um, cultural audience, yeah. um, that is in language and in traditions that resonates well with that community that they can hear it. So it's not a one size fits all that it's, it's very tailored to that. I'm very proud to say last Wednesday, we had um, our first uh, program of, of the school year and it was on queer Muslim organizing wow. and had two phenomenal organizers. One who works with um, uh, uh, queer Muslim youth. And mm. then uh, one uh, who is executive director of, of, um, um, Queer Crescent out of Oakland, and nice. uh, that that came into being after um, 9-11. Mm-hmm. And, um, and 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 nonetheless, it, it was um, great hearing again from their cultural perspective how they do this work and how they move the conversation al- along. And so, um, so in any case, we're, we're very grateful that we can offer that. Not only do we do um, workshops and talks, uh, but even at our website, you know, there are, uh, you know, a plethora of um, resources of how to even begin the conversation, or even if you've had the conversation, how to, you know, move it along and to go a little bit deeper. And it's, you know, very um, academically sound uh, Mm -hmm. materials that we have. That's beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. Is that like you? Yep. Uh, Roland, this has been uh, so great. I was just curious, though. Um, we've been asking people uh, in this series uh, a very a probing, um, introspective question. 
Um, and we want to, of course, make sure that we ask you this question as well. So if you were to bump into Ron DeSantis, um, what would you like to say to him? You know, um, as I mentioned earlier, that there are some people who are fair minded and you can really, you know, progress the conversation with. I don't think that he's one of them. I, I think he's an opportunist. I think yeah. he is just a uh, 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 politician of the worst sort um, who will, the, the way he conducts his business, I mean, I think he would sell his own mother to to, to, to advance his own career. I'm pretty sure so, he already has, right? Probably. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if, if I had the conversation, one, I mean, it would be the same thing if I like met you know Trump is that there are just certain people it's like, I'm not going to get anywhere with you. So that's kind of like the first. But to answer your question in the heart of what you're of what you're saying, I would still try to attempt to see if he is someone who is different off camera than on camera. Right. Mm-hmm. And if he's different off camera, like, you know, like, you, you know, you don't really believe all this rhetoric. Mm-hmm. But. I kind of think that uh, he, I think he's crazy enough that, you know, he would, that he, you know, wouldn't meet with me. Going back to the whole thing of some people call me a heretic, he would definitely <laughs> call me a heretic. Oh, yeah. And oh, so, yeah. you know, and so thus he wouldn't be seen with me or whatever. But mm. if, if I had that opportunity, I would really try to see if there's a there there, if there's an opening. If like, are, are you someone who is different? off camera than on camera. And if so, I would try to appeal to that, that side of him of, you know, um, you know, like, do you really want to be a murderer? Do you really want to see people mm-hmm. die based upon this? You know, and, and if not, you know, please reconsider because mm-hmm. you have so much power and um, um, control over so many people's lives. And again, as that, you know, public official, you know, there are so many people who look towards you you know, that's what I would try to do. But honestly, I don't think he would care. Sometimes all you can do is have a dance party. In front yeah, of that's the, right. That's right. People. That's right. <laughs> so Reverend Dr. Roland Stringfellow, where can people find you if they want to connect? The best way I would say is at clgs.org. Um, and it, like I said, we are a, um, uh, uh, offshoot of Pacific School of Religion. So even if you went to psr.edu, um, you can also find a link to uh, the work of the center. But it is there that, you know, you can uh, email me directly. Uh, but I would say just don't do that just to email me, that stick around. There are a lot of great resources, theological resources from uh, people who are, you know, um, not very religious at all. To those who are um, deeply into um, um, doctoral work with, with with theology, there's something there for everyone in mm-hmm. terms of how to frame issues around equality and welcome within within a congregation or whatever the context is. And so mm-hmm. it is a Even great people resource. thinking it through for themselves, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 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 Questions that you might have, you know, you can pose them there and we'll be happy to, to get back with you. Yay. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah, this has been so wonderful, Roland. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for just who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, it's been so good. Thank you. Wow, Roland, thank you so much. Um, I'm very inspired, and uh, it makes me want to go out and be more of an activist, but really good. Great, great stuff. Thank you so much, and what a wonderful way to wrap up this series.
Isn't it wonderful to know Roland's out there doing yes. doing his thing in the world? Yeah. And he gave us some good ideas of where we can start to do some of the same things. So one of your great easy starting places for activism is to rate and review the Heretic Happy Hour wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, because that is the good kind of evangelism, getting the word out about important stuff that, um, like the wisdom of Roland Stringfellow and all of the Two Fab for Florida folks you've gotten to hear over these past couple of months, go ahead and rate and review us. It is how people like you find people like us. I don't know if y'all knew this, because you're probably driving in your car, and if you're still listening to us, it's because you haven't been able, you can't find the little fat forward button to go on to the next podcast. Uh, but if you're still listening, we're really appreciative. But I want you to pull your car over, get on your phone, don't do this while driving, open your Facebook app, app and join Heresy After Hours, which is our free Facebook group. It's where we connect. It's a great platform, social platform. You know what Facebook is. I know that you do. But if you're not a member of our particular group, Heresy After Hours, go ahead and join. You can post in there. You can join thousands of heretics just like you having great conversations. I'm almost sad to see this series end because they were all so amazing. It was really great. And they they were all too bad. That's absolutely true.